Welcome in to the Fantasy Football Playmakers Podcast. It is June 18th or 15th. Oh, geez, I'm fast forwarding here. But uh, it, it is Jeremy, your host, as always, and joined by Ryan, who you can find on Twitter at Mackie underscore FFB. Ryan, how's it going? You upgraded a little bit over there. I, I did, man. I did. I finally got rid of the tablet. Uh, shout out to Shane is the worst on Twitter for the, uh, for the hook me up with the microphone. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for the new setup and, uh, hopefully we can, uh, keep upgrading from here. But as for tonight, I'm excited to have uh sideline squib, squib on here for, uh, for the show and talk about the, uh, NFC East. Yeah. I mean, I, I got an upgrade too. You know, I have an office chair now. I'm not sitting on a backless chair. It's quite comfortable. I'm that's, not gonna lie, that's actually but, my upgrade. That's actually yeah. My upgrade. I, I don't blame you because sitting on a non-backed chair was probably the worst for the last <laughs> two months, but. And as Ryan alluded to, we are joined by owner, creator, host, similar to Jackie Moon, Steve from Sideline Squib. What is up, Steve? What's up, guys? No, awesome. Uh, thanks for having me. It's been a while since I've been on this side of things, and it's it's always good to get out and join the community. You know, we always talk about it. Being fantasy football community, you just you just there's so many people you meet, so many people that they come together in a large group, and it's it's just awesome to be on different shows and and get to talk with new people. And I'm also to be on with Jeremy and Ryan, and we'll get talking for some fantasy football playmakers. Yeah, for sure. I second that. If you are out there in the community or anything, I always just kind of dive out there. Most people are willing to have anybody on a podcast um, and give someone an opportunity. So take that leap. I know Ryan took that leap. I took it too with little experience this year and. I think we do all right, and either way, like Steve had mentioned, we are talking about the NFC East today, but before we dive into that, Ryan has a word from King Sports. Yeah, go check out King Fantasy Sports Draft Kit and get the advantage over your league mates this draft season. Do the right preparation and start your season off right. You'll get rankings, breakouts, busts, values, and sleepers. Have some funky settings, learn how to make your own projections. Stop sitting on the sidelines and buy it now. The guideline is only $8.99. If you use our promo code PLAYMAKERS, you get an additional 10% off. So we're talking less than $10 to get everything you need in your arsenal to not just compete but dominate your leagues this season. For sure. And I uh, looked at that, checked it over a little bit. It's definitely something it's it's nice. I enjoyed it. Um, definitely something worth downloading, especially for the price point. And using the uh, code gets you a little bit extra off. And it's updated constantly, too, throughout the season, so that's a nice feature, I think, too. But, yeah, let's just dive right into this. There's not much going on in the NFL other than OTAs right now, but let's talk about the New York Giants here, guys. Um, Let's start off with Daniel Jones. Last year, he finished his QB 24 in 14 games, where he averaged 13.5 per game. Steve, do we think that Daniel Jones can be a top 15 quarterback this year with the new weapons added, or... Do we think he's kind of that lower echelon QB2 still? Um, Personally, I still have him at the back end of a QB2, somewhere around 24, fighting with uh, the Jared Goff's Big Bens of the world. That's kind of where I have him currently. Things could change after, like you said, OTAs are starting. We can see a little bit of what Kadarius Toney does. Uh, Is Evan Ingram back in shape? Is he back in form? I think that's going to be the key to Danny Dimes. So for me, I'm going to say no. I don't think he's top 15. Uh, I would love to hear reasons otherwise, if that's the case, just because, you know, this is the time where we all dive in and we're all looking at different aspects of players' games. So for me right now, he's still QB2, probably back end of QB2, given the, the, the incoming rookies coming in. 
I still have ranked below Daniel Jones. So uh, that could even push him out to, to tier three for me if if all things go right with this incoming rookie class. Yeah, I mean, I think that was crazy. I really broke down this week uh, for the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, and I started breaking the redraft rankings. And just the talent and the depth in these, it's hard to like see Daniel Jones finishing much higher, like you'd said. The only quarterback, I think rookie quarterback I had ahead of him was Trevor Lawrence at the moment, just because we don't know is Justin Fields and Trey Lance playing that many games. But if both of those do, I could see them finishing ahead of him. I'm just not super high on Daniel Jones still. I think he could be a serviceable quarterback. I just think that lower quarterback to possibly high end QB three is really his range. How about you, Ryan, anything on Daniel Jones? So I was in the same boat as you guys until I dove a little deeper for the show and QB 15 might be, might be pushing it a little bit, but I mean, he, he's one of those guys that I feel like gets a, gets a bad rap and, isn't really looked at for his finish to last season because his last six games of last last year, he had 176 attempts, only threw one pick and had two fumbles, which obviously isn't great to have in the two fumbles and three turnovers, but played a lot better in terms of his, uh, in terms of his, in terms of his turnovers. And I know last week we had this discussion about how uh, throws downfield are a somewhat skewed stat but he was the third highest rated passer on throws 20 plus yards downfield. So that tells me that when he's given the opportunity to throw downfield, he is able to produce and be consistent at that level. And getting a guy like Galladay, who is, I mean, he's known for his big play deep downfield ability. I feel like gives, that gives him like that added, that added boost that he might need that he didn't have last year by any means. I don't think any of the guys he had last year really considered deep, deep threats or, big body receivers by any means and Saquon being hurt obviously obviously did not help him at all uh, I think Jason Garrett isn't the greatest play caller in the world and their offensive line should be improved after giving up the fourth amount of fourth most sacks and fourth highest pressure rate in the league last year and Kadarius Tony is a potential game breaker for them and it just kind of it just kind of says that I don't I don't see him as a QB one obviously but I, I'm, I'd be more than happy to have him in a as a QB two and super flex league, especially if you pair him with a high four guy like Mahomes or Dak or Aaron Rodgers, if he ends up playing. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of the road with him. I, I'd like to see how uh, training camp plays out and see how he looks with Galladay. And uh, like, like Squib had said, the, the, uh, the Kadarius Tony progression to see how he does in OTAs and things like that. Uh, I'm really interested in seeing that. So for, for now he's, I'm, I want to say he's in the QB 20 range, but I could definitely see a scenario where he finishes in that mid QB two, top 15 ish range. So like you had alluded to there, obviously they added Galladay, Kadarius, Tony, and they still have Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton. Do we think though that the narrative I've seen off season two is that technically Daniel Jones hasn't always been known to throw it up to a jump ball type receiver. So do either of you guys think that actually Kenny Galladay isn't the best receiver for Daniel Jones, or do you think that narrative is basically fake news? Steve? Yeah, well, well, I think I think any kind of receiver is going to be good for Daniel Jones at this point in his career. You know, he's already coming in the weight on his shoulders 
then moving up to get him out of Duke. It was all that even the draft when he got taken was weird. Everyone was kind of like, whoa, what's going on? So he felt that his first couple years in the league. And now and then he lost OBJ to Cleveland. And, and now he really didn't have anyone. He was he had an injured Sterling Shepard. Um, I, th- I think Darius Slate or uh, not, Darius Slayton was a rookie coming in, and they even had Golden Tate there for a few seasons, you know, or or a season. Uh, so he didn't really have too much top tier talent. Then he saw Barkley go down, who's his work hers, his his uh, you know, his his relief valve, his safety blanket, whatever you want to call it. He lost him too. So so now you're kind of getting all these different pieces back. You had a few rough seasons there to start your career. The O line's getting bigger or getting bigger and better, as Ryan talked about. You know, is Evan Ingram really going to turn around? I think he has options to, and I think he has chances to, if he can put it together in his own mind. It's not that he wasn't out there running around. He just wasn't on the field. So if he can stay healthy and stay on the field, that could give Daniel Jones that option in between. Um, I, I know Kadarius Tony kind of broke out the senior bowl, and he was actually getting comped to Kenny Galladay just based off of his play and his size. So I'd be, I'm very curious to see how they play together on a field. I do think they will definitely – uh, be on the field more often than not together if Tony can come through OTAs and come through training camp and and find himself within that top four, as we'll talk about later. Uh, so I believe that it's all leaning in the right direction. If Kenny Galladay can can run routes, run crisp routes, and, and Danny Dimes can get him the ball, I, I think it's going to be good for both of them. It might not be the Matt Stafford sling it and, you know, down the field with 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 yard seasons, but – uh, I think as far as playmakers go, fantasy-wise, I think you're good with both um, both wide receivers that could could potentially see some, you know, six, seven to ten touchdowns in the season. So I like it there. Nice. As you alluded to, let's talk about Saquon Barkley here a little bit. Do we think he returns to the top five form? We'll even say top three that he's had in the past, coming off of this ACL injury that now again we should say so what do we think about barkley ryan start us off <sighs> this this is one of those things where i love the talent I, I love saquon as a talent i mean obviously everybody knows he's coming off the acl tear so that i feel like that is a little bit more it's a little bit easier to come back from that now they've come a long way in terms of how they take care of the acl tears how they do the surgery it's a lot less invasive as it used to be and he's one of those athletic freaks that always seem to come back from injuries like that, but it's still an ACL tear on a running back. And he is playing an offense that now has a lot of playmakers involved, but he is coming off back to back thousand yard seasons prior to the prior to last season. And in games that he's played at least in seasons where he's played at least 13 games, he's averaged 1155 yards, nine touchdowns with 97 targets, 72 catches, 580 yards and three touchdowns. Those are are his averages over the last two seasons where he's played at least 13 games. So he's obviously the upside with him is massive. And he he has the upside to compete with a guy like CMC to be the RB1 in PPR formats, given his user's history. But if you're drafting him as your RB1, uh, I would would strongly recommend taking another running back with your second pick, trying to offset the initial lack of workload that might occur with the comeback from the, the tear that they've already talked about possibly not being ready for week one. He's already going to uh, – he's already not participating in mandatory minicamp. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they put a snap count on him to begin the year. So if you're drafting him as high as he's going, I think he's running back five uh, – running back three or something like that in ADP uh, as the fifth pick, I think. So 
if you're taking them there, I, I would personally suggest taking a second back just to try to offset that initial initial snap count that he's probably going to be on. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I like Barkley this year. I've always liked Barkley. Like you said, the talent's there. I think he still gets used. I think, like you had said, maybe in the beginning of the year he gets a snap count, but he's their best offensive weapon. I don't care if you say that they added Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony. There's no one here that they added that's better than Saquon, even coming off of an ACL injury, in my opinion. And I think it's still going to run through Saquon, this offense. I don't think that they're ready to let Danny Dimes stand back there and throw it 50 times a game. So I think that it's going to be, the, like you said, in the beginning, he might get a little bit of a workload and possibly if he shows signs of any type of off or concern from the injury, there'll be a workload diminishment there. But I'm in for Barkley this year. I would draft him where he's going personally. Um, how about you, Steve? Yeah, I'm with you, Ryan. Uh, you touched on what 13 game average, roughly 1150 yards ish, 97 targets. So when you said that, it, just, it kind of rang a bell. I mean, we added an extra game this season into the regular season, which is going to, I think, help his case in this scenario uh, because coming off an ACL injury is going to be tough as it is. Coming off an injury is tough. Being a running back, he's now in his third, fourth season. Um, he's, I believe he's at the – this is his final, his final year of his rookie contract, so he's going to need to prove something. Plus, the Giants need to make a decision on what they're going to do with him going forward. I mean, he's top-tier, second overall pick. What are they going to do with him? We saw CMC get paid. We saw Zeke get paid. He's got to be next, in my opinion. He, he He's he's top-tier talent, and he's going to pro- provide that for that team, whether he's coming off an injury or not. You just mentioned his numbers, 13 games. Let's say he doesn't even come back to week one, slowly limps into week two, maybe gets his feet wet week three, and then misses a game somewhere in between for lingering issues. You're now talking about that 13-game average, which is better than most running back 16-game season. So I'm with you on both your points there. I love that you brought that up. That's perfect. I think if you break it down like that, which a lot of us do, and for those of you listening, listen to Ryan, listen to Jeremy, because they nailed it. you got to break it down and look at that sort of things. Don't think about it overall season. Look at that average. Look at what you're seeing in 13 games, and then break it down to what you might actually get out of Barkley. Everything after that is a bonus. Everything less than that, okay, you took a chance on a top-tier talent and didn't work out this year. Yeah, I love that point, too, that you had mentioned. Like, that's a big push. I definitely want to kind of start pushing that a little bit, maybe some articles or something. But, like, the per-game basis is a big thing for me, especially when I evaluate guys, because the season totals can definitely get skewed. I mean, we talked about it in other podcasts. You have one big blow-up game, and you could be a top-10 tight end. Like, but the rest of the year, you had three points every game. So, it's just tough for me to look at it as like a yearly total. I know that's kind of how it's always been. And there's always going to be an argument that that's a better gauge than the per game. But obviously the per game has to be taken into consideration. If you played one game like Marcus Mariota and you had 26 points, you're obviously not the second best quarterback in the NFL for fantasy. But if you see like a total, you know what I mean? A a decent amount of games with a good per game average. That's kind of my go-to at least. But let's go on to the wide receivers quick. We mentioned them a little bit earlier, but out of the top four that I personally think is the top four, which is Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, Sterling Shepard, and Darius Slayton, who's the odd man out? Steve? Uh, I hate to say it, but I think it's going to be Sterling Shepard. Uh, he's, he's starting to get up there in age. I believe he's 28 years old, maybe going on his 29th through the season. 
you just brought in Galladay on a, what a three-year deal worth some pretty pretty penny. You still got Evan Ingram. You still, or excuse me, he's a tight end. You still have um, Darius Slayton, who had a pretty good season coming out of Auburn. I think he has room to grow, room to grow within that offense and the offensive coordinator as well. And then you just got Tony. So if if they like what they saw in him drafting him them in you know within the first three rounds, I believe that Sterling Shepard, given his his age, given his contract, I, I believe he has to be the one that's going to get pushed out. It may not be may not be week one, uh, but I'd give it till week five, and you might see Tony take over that lead role as two and kind of push Slayton to three if that's the case, depending on you know how they want to run the offense this year. Yeah, I like that. Ryan, how about you? I actually, <clears throat> sorry. I actually think it's uh Slayton that gets pushed back here a little bit, just strictly because of how strong Shepard came out at the end of the at the end of the last season when he was actually finally fully healthy. Uh last two weeks he averages nine catches, 95 yards, and a touchdown over those last two weeks. But the problem is, is that he's always seems to be injured. He's only played more than 12 games twice in his five-year career. Uh, like Steve had said, he's he's 28. He just turned 28 in February. So he is getting up there. Injuries are already concerned. So in terms of if everybody were to stay healthy, I think it's Slayton that gets pushed out because I feel like he is just not as necessarily talented as Sterling Shepard. And Kadarius Tony is just a lot more of a uh, – a lot more of a playmaker for them. So I feel like he's just going to be, they're going to find ways to keep him on the field. And Sterling Shepard is just going to be that guy that is just playing in the slot or possibly on the outside if he needs to. And if he stays healthy, he he's fine. I mean, he had 90 targets. He had 90 targets last or last year. And I think that was only in 12 games or 13 games in and of itself. So he's, he's probably upward of the hundred targets if he stays healthy if Kenny G with Kenny G there, he's going to see a lot more open field to play with. So I just, I just don't know if he can stay healthy. That's my only thing. If they all stay healthy, I think Slayton's the one that gets pushed out of there. Yeah, I can see that too. I, I see both your guys's points. I feel like Shepard kind of seems like the contract, the age, everything kind of like his injury issues, but I feel like Darius Slayton is Kenny Galladay just cheaper at the moment. So I think they go out and they add a receiver who's very similar to his style of play. And we saw it last year. I mean, he only had a couple blow up games and it was when he hit the deep shot. So I feel like it's just kind of, that's his role in this offense. So I kind of agree with Ryan a little bit there where Darius Slayton, I can see getting faded, but I can also see where Slayton and Galladay play outside and they bring Tony inside and Shepard loses his role. So I think it's going to be something that's going to be a wait and see kind of game. Um, I don't think you're going to know this until, like Steve had said, mid-season possibly. Um, let's move on to Evan Ingram real quick, guys. Is his high? Wait, wait, wait. No love for John Ross? Who? Said no love for John Ross? Who? I'd be surprised if he makes it out of camp. I, I would be shocked as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, John Ross is kind of – I think he's a gone forever kind of guy. but <laughs> Gone forever. We'll see. I mean, he might make the roster. I just don't know if he's going to be viable in any way, shape, or form. But Evan Ingram, guys, is his high upside gone, or do you think that he still has the high upside that he was drafted coming out of college with, and especially for fantasy? Um, Last year, he finished tight end 15 at 8.8 per game in PPR. Do we think that he's kind of that low-end tight end one forever, guys, or do you think he can get to that? possibly tight end five ish range, Steve. 
Uh, I'm glad you said tight end 15 because I don't remember, and, and this is just the way fantasy is going nowadays. I don't remember last time I played a league that wasn't tight end premium. So I had him locked in at like tight end 12, which is still, you know, top one. I don't think he's the, the upper echelon of tight ends that he showed us his rookie season where I believe it was like four or five overall in PPR. Uh, he hasn't played a full season since then either, but let's say he plays a full season. He gets back into it. I believe that our top five are pretty much locked down. I think you have uh, Kelsey Waller, Kittle, Andrews, TJ Hawkinson in some order. It's still going to be around the top five. You're always going to have someone sneak in because it's the tight ends. I mean, you look at who was it, Robert Tanyan, who kind of snuck up there this past season. He had a few touchdowns on his back, and, and that's all it takes is a tight end. So, I believe as a tight end one, I think you can still mark him down as a tight end one. The only issue with that is being a tight end 12 is 200 points less than you're getting out of maybe the tight end five. So uh, there's a big fall off there, in my opinion, or statistically, I guess you can look at it. But I don't think we're going to see Ingram top five. His red zone percentage really needs to come up. In the last three seasons, he's only had uh, – in the last – yeah, no, five total touchdowns in the last three seasons take away his rookie season um, where he had six. So only two of them were from within the red zone. So if they're not targeting their big tight end within the red zone, I don't see what they're going to do, especially adding Kenny Galladay, who's a taller receiver at that. You know, then he, He's going to be more of that middle of the field, play the seams type of tight end. So unless they start utilizing him a little bit more in the red zone, um, he's going to need seven touchdowns in my eyes to, to break, to get close to top five. I'll call it that. Yeah, I can totally agree with that. And I think all these weapons being added just kind of hurts him. Tony's a separation machine. He showed it in college. He's going to be great in the red zone, in my opinion, for Daniel Jones. Kenny Galladay is a guy who can go up and get the ball. Barkley back. I mean, you know they're going to try and run the ball with him in the red zone. Just everything to me just doesn't add up for Evan Ingram to be that top echelon type tight end anymore. I think his injury history, too, kind of just sours you. I He's hard to play the whole season, so... I'm not totally in on Evan Ingram, like you'd said. As a tight end one, especially in tight end premium, a low-end guy, I think he's there. Uh, but I don't see much more of an upside anymore. How about you, Ryan? Anything real quick? Uh, Yeah, I was just looking up something real quick. The So they he, he was tight end 15 last year, mm-hmm. right? In PPR, yeah. So... Tight end 16 to tight end eight were separated by nine points. So could it be in that range? Yeah, of course he can because there's 10 different guys that can fill up that spot. But the one thing that they do have that he does have going for him is that the Giants actually like to throw the tight end quite often. They, they've seen over 110 targets over the last three seasons. And problem has been he just hasn't been productive he had 10 drops last year fewer than 50 yards in 12 games had less than three catches in six games but he did see 13 red zone targets last year but only one touchdown so it's not like they weren't looking for him in the red zone he just wasn't producing there so if those numbers can creep up a little bit then he can possibly get up into that tight end eight nine-ish range but i just can't see him passing that threshold because those guys that are above him are just so so much more proven and so much more viable to their offense than he is at this point that it's kind of hard for me to see him getting up above that point. Plus they signed Kyle Rudolph, who I don't think is a major playmaker, but he definitely could be a red zone threat for them. And they didn't sign him just for no reason. 
So whether that's the block or just be a, a teacher to you know, Evan Ingram, we're not really sure yet, but uh, I mean, they, they signed them and brought them in for a reason. So yeah, if, I mean, if there's, there's a world where he finishes in the top 10, but I just don't see him breaking that top eight threshold in my opinion. Fair enough. Let's move on to the Philadelphia Eagles here, guys. Um, I think this team is surrounded with a lot of question marks, um, a new coaching staff, a new offense coming over. Um, I think we're all hoping to see a similar type offense as Indianapolis ran. So with that, how do we feel about Jalen Hurts? Last year in weeks 14 through 17, he averaged 23.7 points per game, which was good enough, I believe, for fifth in the NFL for fantasy. Do we think he can finish a top eight quarterback this season, guys? Uh, let's I'm, say, let's go with Ryan. We'll let you start it off. Yes, I think he can be a top eight option this season. Uh, if you look at his three weeks where he f- started and finished the whole game, he had 847 passing yards, five touchdowns, 38 rushes, 238 yards, and a touchdown. He was a QB one in all three weeks, and he actually played a really tough schedule in those three weeks. Uh, started off with the Saints that were really tough, and he basically just did whatever he wanted against them. And the Eagles were really smart with how they used him. They adjusted their offense to fit how he how he plays well. They ran shotgun at 89% of their offensive snaps, so he was able to sit back in the pocket and just kind of read if he wanted to take off or or make the proper read, I guess you could say. But the problem was that his his supporting cast was just not very good. According to uh, Sharp Football, he had the 28th ranked supporting cast efficiency, and you should you should see a pretty drastic improvement in that. When with you got a healthy Miles Sanders, Jalen Rager hopefully takes a step forward, and they obviously drafted Devonta Smith in the draft. So, with the addition of those guys coming back, I expect his accuracy to improve after a full off season, and. He should increase on his 13th ranked fantasy points per drop back from last season. His rushing ability keeps his four and upside really high. And with his defense still being weak because they had a lot of holes that they could not fill because of cap space, uh, he's just seen plenty of opportunities to score plenty of fantasy points. He's got, to me, he has top fight upside and a top 12 floor, in my opinion. I like it. Uh, how about you, Steve? Yeah, I, I'm pretty spot on with that. I, I, like, I like exactly where you went. There's so many pros and cons to what he can bring to the team, you know, with, I think he needs to be more confident. And, and I think my biggest question mark with him is, is he going to be able to do what these top tier quarterbacks can do? And especially with his style of play. So look at what just the NFC East has in general. So what can he do differently when he's playing the NFC East two times a year per team than what he does against every other opponent? So you're going to be going up against, um, Dallas, who has Van Der Esch, they just got Parsons, they have Jalen Smith, probably the fastest linebacking crew in the league. So he's not going to be able to use his feet that much against Dallas unless it's a broken down play. Washington's defense is coming together. They're really good on the outside. They can press, they can press on the receivers. They can leave them man-to-man out there. You got Chase Young and Montez Sweat. So there's some speed there on the defense. You know, the Giants have Blake Martinez and you're and you're still working around piecing that together as well. But those three teams alone has has huge upside with their linebacking crew with speed from side to side, you know, parallel sideline to sideline. So he's not going to be able to do 
in his own division, what he could do most likely against the rest of the league. So that I think for me is going to be his key is to be confident in his game, step up, find his receivers and, and use his feet when he needs them, not rely on his feet as a safety blanket to get out, to get out and play. So, um, and it kind of puts you to the point of who does he have? Last year he was throwing to Greg Ward, backup quarterback, practice squad quarterback, you know, uh, still an aging Zach Ertz, contract issues, fighting with the team, Dallas Goddard in and out of play. Not really anything. Jalen Rager, who is five foot three and trying to become a wide receiver one on that team. <laughs> Alshon Jeffrey never on the field. So there's a lot going on. Uh, coaching staff, as you mentioned, Ryan, that's going to come in and change a lot of things for that team. So let's hope this new coaching staff can come in, find the skills, and and, and use Jalen Hurts to his ability. And if that's the case, you're right. Top five's not out of the question with the as far as fantasy with what he can do in the air and on the ground. It's all going to determine on how they use it offense. You know, they have uh, – they just brought in Devonta Smith. They have Jalen Rager. Uh, Jay Jaw is sort of nothing at this point. Uh, he, he was supposed to be their possession receiver, and he's just kind of out. You know, he hasn't shown it since he left Stanford. So there's a lot going on with that wide receiver room. I think Jalen Rager will will grow and become into his second year just based off of what they're going to do with Devonta Smith. That's going to be the key for me. That's going to be the key for Jalen Hurts. And I think as they grow together as a team and, and a coaching staff, you're spot on with the with the take of you know top five ceiling QB twelve floor. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, I think there's a wide range of outcomes, like you'd mentioned. I think that it's not like wide, but like that seven spot drop is definitely something that could be there. Yeah, I don't know if I'm just or not, but my my mic's acting up. And, and don't and don't forget, speakers right now, it, don't forget they have all the confidence in the world in them because they have Joe Flacco and Nick Mullins are the only other quarterbacks in that room. They just cut Jamie Newman, who I thought might have been the only threat. Um, so. It, 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 he doesn't have much pressure coming from behind him. It's his team, and, and he, he should know that by now. Yeah, and I think they proved that, like you had said, in the draft. I mean, they took Devontae Smith to help him out, and they skipped on, like, Justin Fields, who was falling, Mac Jones. So my question is, is obviously with the new offensive scheme coming over, and we saw Miles Sanders take a nice step forward as far as a fantasy asset and just NFL asset when Jalen Hurts took over. Do we think – Sanders is the lead back here as like a workhorse, or do we think that you're going to see possibly the newly drafted Kenny Gainwell or any of these other running backs get some work more than a spell back that they might be like worked into the offense, like a Naeem Hines will say in Indianapolis, Steve. Uh, I do like Kenneth Gainwell a little bit. Uh, I believe he brings an aspect, but I don't think he's going to take away from the touches Miles Sanders have. Uh, I, I thought very highly of Jordan Howard. I mean, look what he did in, in Chicago when he came over. I thought he was going to take a lot more away from Miles Sanders than he actually did. So I, I think it's Miles Sanders' team. I think it's he's the RB1. I believe that he's the workhorse back. I mean, he can do it through the air. He can do it on the ground. So he has the skill to be a three-down a three down back. It's just going to be how this new coaching staff utilizes, you know, the substitutions and who they want to bring in. I mean, obviously you're going to have to get these guys into some situations, but I believe it's going to be a, let's call it 70 miles Sanders, 30% for the rest of the running back room. Yeah. So you're seeing it more as a Delvin Cook, Alexander Mattinson kind of split versus the Himes Taylor split. We saw last year is what you're thinking. 
And I could totally get behind that. As long as Sanders stays healthy, I think he has huge upside because like we mentioned, hurts his legs. I think depending on how they run that offense, it could be forcing linebackers, even with their speed to make decisions on the fly in like an option style offense. Ryan, do you have anything on Sanders? No, I, uh, I agree with what you guys are saying. The way Nick Sirianni's always ran his offense, it's always been uh, – he's always had a fantasy viable running back, whether it be Marlon Mack or Naeem Hines. He made both of those guys uh, fantasy viable. Hines had at least 63 catches in two out of three seasons under Sirianni. And I think Sanders is actually a better pass catcher than he is. So if he stays healthy, he's easily a high-end RB2 with RB1 upside. If he if he's given a full workload, assuming that uh, game well – isn't prepared for a significant third down snap count and somebody like Jordan Howard, or maybe even carry on Johnson. Don't steal any goal line work from him all too often. I like it. So let's, let's move on to their wide receiver room real quick, which we alluded to a little bit. there talking about Jalen hurts was pretty bad last year. And to be honest, I don't think they upgraded it too much this year. They upgraded it with one player who was a Heisman winning wide receiver who has question marks based on his BMI, but is a very talented wide receiver, but outside of him, they added nothing else. Who do we think ends as their top fantasy wide receiver? Is it the rookie that they added in Devonte Smith, or is it going to be Jalen Rager who makes a breakout in his second year, or is it going to be one of these other, we'll quote unquote say no name guys, Steve? At this point, it's a flip of a coin. So to give an answer, I'm going to have to go Jalen Rager. Um, I, I believe he showed the willpower to get out there and fight with the best of them. But again, his size is not wide receiver one talent. So it's all going to be based off of what the coaching staff can do to get these guys skill set front and center. I mean, Devonta Smith, you touched on his BMI. I mean, he's tiny. You're talking two tiny guys now running down the field. It's not a speed, it's not a speed game. You need to you need to utilize that a little bit. I mean, unless you have the speed of Tyreek Hill at that size, which he doesn't, you know, you're not gonna be blowing people away and unless he has the 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 prowess of a julian edelman across the middle where he doesn't care if he rips his neck off getting hit from behind which i don't think he does either not at least what i saw from him in alabama then you're talking almost similar pieces in jalen rager and devonta smith so it's going to be how they get utilized what they do with them i wouldn't be surprised if I really wouldn't be surprised if we see another wide receiver somehow slip into Philly before the season starts or, or early in the season. Maybe we see a cut. Maybe we see, uh, I don't know, Kelvin Benjamin. We were talking about the Giants. Maybe maybe he sneaks down. I, I don't I don't know. I'm just throwing that name out there. But it, it's going to be something like that. I, I believe we're going to see someone else, unless there's this huge offseason change that Jay Jall or, or – or, uh, or Siegel Whiteside did to, to be come in and be that large possession receiver. It's it's going to be Dallas Goddard and whatever's left, I think, at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think by the sounds of it, I'm a little higher on Devontae Smith than you. I, I always have to get throw that nod of the BMI because that's a big thing on Twitter. But I do like Devontae Smith. I think he can win in different ways just at his size. But I agree, he doesn't have that Tyreek Hill speed. But I think he doesn't. Here's how I'm going to say this. He doesn't do everything. He does everything very well. He's not like super good at anything, but there's a lot of stuff well. And he's just a hard worker. And I think that his, 
he doesn't have the prowess like you had mentioned with Edelman, like worrying about getting hit over the middle, but he does well to get into the middle and be tough enough to make catches and protect himself at his size. So I think, like you said, it's going to be big on the how they're used. And that's just what concerns me is like, how are they going to get used and who is going to see the most targets? And I think that's who's going to be your top fantasy asset. But I just don't know if they're ready to give it to Devontae Smith. How about you, Ryan? So I think Smith is a clear cut number one here, just from everything that I've been, I've been doing a lot of OTA research and uh, beat reporters and things like that. Uh, and some of the national magazine guys that are covering it. Uh, this guy named Eagle Maven from sports illustrated, which is an awesome name, by the way. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's reporting out of Eagles, out of Eagles OTAs right now. And he's saying that, uh, Devonta Smith is just on a, in a whole different league compared to the other receivers that are in the room right now. Uh, so I could certainly see him being uh, the number one guy leading their team in targets, barring any injuries to him. Obviously, with a smaller frame, that's always going to be somewhat of a concern for most people. But I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on Jalen Rager. I feel like they're just kind of knocking him off and saying that he's just not any good. And I don't really think that's fair because he – just didn't see the he didn't he didn't did not see any sort of quality targets at all. He was not he was ninety-fourth in the league in catchable pass percentage last season. And with him stating that he's probably gonna line up in the slot a lot more this year, he excelled in the open field at TCU. So I wouldn't I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they end up putting making some sort of Madden formation where they have Rager and Smith outside with Gamewell in the slot, Goddard in line, and Sanders in the backfield, and having Sirianni just have all the best playmakers on the field at once and just kind of seeing what happens. I mean, a lot of people don't like Nelson Aguilar, but when they when Nelson Aguilar got moved from into the slot in Philly in 2017, he ended the season as wide receiver 22. And I think Rager is an even better player than Aguilar is. So if Sirianni can use him right, which I think he can, I think he's a smart enough coach, and I feel like he's good enough – a good enough play caller that he can do that. I feel like Rager is going to be a lot better than what his current ADP is, which is wide receiver 63, according to sleeper. And I feel like that's a huge steal. If that's, if that's where he's going in, in drafts right now, that's, that's insane for me. So it sounds like we got two Ragers and a Devonte Smith. So if anybody will sum it up like that, let's go with the tight end here. Is it, Obviously, Zach Ertz is still there. I think the presumption is, is that he's going to get traded. Obviously, until that happens, we have to assume he's there. How do we see this shaping out? Is it going to be a Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard split? Do we think that Zach Ertz holds out and it's all about Dallas Goddard? How about you, Steve? I don't think Ertz holds out. I don't. I don't. I, I think he put enough in with Philly that he should have the respect not to do that to the team. Obviously, times have changed. We'll see what happens. Uh, but but I believe it takes us right back to the conversation we have with Evan Ingram. So I, earlier I mentioned what I believe is still the top five in some sort of order, and then we talked that Evan Ingram can be anywhere from twelve to eight, given the you know the few points separating the two. So so that means Dallas Goddard, who I believe is better than Evan Ingram at this point in his career, has to be somewhere between eight and five. You know, so there's that there's that very thin line of everything. So to be in that in that tier, I believe he's going to have to produce. I mean, even when he's on the field with Ertz splitting time, he's slowly taking percentages away. He's slowly taking targets away to the point where it's just going to be, it's going to be an 80, 20 split in his favor. Uh, if it's not a hundred percent this year, 
and you'll start to see him. I think he's going to be the main target for the team in general uh, as far as targets go and production from the receiving group. I like that. It's a, I like that take a lot. Um, I can agree. I mean, he's going to be in that five to eight range. You're talking about guys like Mike Gusecki. You're talking about a Logan Thomas. Um, you were talking about shoot. Who was the other one? I'm not Robert Tunyon was up there. Um, and then Hawkinson was there depending on how they played out there. But most of those guys had weapons added to the team on the outside that could be taking away targets from them where I feel like, yeah, Devontae Smith is added here, but there's still nobody else there. It's Devontae Smith and Jalen Rager. And then after that, you got a lot of guys that kind of hit a little bit last year, but aren't great. So I agree. I think Dallas Goddard has a clear path to possibly be one of the leading target getters in this offense. And I think that that top five honestly could be in reach. I think you could see him dabble there with the Andrews and Hawkinson type numbers depending on if he gets the full workload if Zach Ertz is still there I think they both cap each other to a point where they're probably one of them's a top 12 guy not crazy like a low end 12 and one's like a 15 16 but I think that's just gonna have to be how we see it play out like if it gets traded or not so yeah I don't I don't think I have I don't have the numbers in front of me I, I know I wrote an article on this maybe a year ago maybe a year and a half ago but it it could almost be similar to when Hunter Henry first came in the league and you had Hunter Henry and Antonio Gates, and they were both top 12 receivers for like three straight years. And that could yeah. easily be the situation in Philly this year. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like you, like we had all, we've all alluded to already, the receiver group is just not that great that you can see it. It's the same situation in New England, too. You can see again with Hunter Henry again. You know what I mean? Hunter Henry and John o. Smith could take that team, too, as a target there's, leader. There's so. two more tight ends that we didn't sneak into that eight to five. You know, there's, there's, yeah. it's going to be, I think, a tight end. We all talk about it takes three years for a tight end to come out. It takes three years for a tight end. We haven't even talked about Kyle Pitts yet. You know what yeah. I mean? So there's a. it's going to be interesting to see somehow how this uh, tight end room shakes out this year in fantasy. For sure. Ryan, how do you feel about Dallas Goddard here? So I, I like him either way, whether he whether he stay, whether Zach Ertz stays or not. I Obviously, like you said, Ertz kind of caps Dallas's, uh, Dallas's upside there. He kind of caps his ceiling. But if he's not there, in five games out Ertz last season, he averaged six targets, 53 yards, and was a tight end five So on a per-game basis. So obviously, if he's, if he's not on the field, he's getting opportunity. But I still have guys like Kelsey, Kittle, Waller, Andrews, Hawkinson ahead of him. And I really wouldn't argue if anybody has Pitts or even Noah Fant ahead of him. So – like you guys had said, I mean, there's the tight end group is still relatively top heavy, but it's those middle guys from Andrews down to the Dallas Goddard Noah fan. They're all viable options that could finish in any sort of order that you possibly want to put them in. And he, I don't know. I would just, I would prefer Zach Ertz to move on. To be honest with you, I would, I would just like to see him get a fresh start. Uh, I know Buffalo has been linked to him, Panthers, Titans, Colts. Uh, they've all been kind of linked to him. He's only going to be 31 at the start of the year. So I, it's just I would, for, for for a fantasy standpoint, I like to see I would like to see Zachers leave because then they're there's they don't cap each other off. But if he if he stays, I still think Dallas Goddard is still startable because he he was last year even when he wasn't even when Zachers was still there. All right, so it sounds like a lot of love for both Ertz and Goddard. 
Um, let's move on to the Dallas Cowboys here, guys. I think another one of those that kind of is interesting to me, but let's move on. Let's start with Dak here. Dak was, is he a top three fantasy quarterback in redraft and or dynasty? Um, last year he was the top quarterback in a per game basis at 27.7 fantasy points per game prior to his injury. Steve, how do we feel about Dak? Uh, I like I like Dak as a quarterback. Again, coming off an injury, I believe in redraft. I'm not drafting him at QB3. Uh, I don't do, if any, redrafts anymore. But as far as dynasty goes, I think if you're in a startup, sure, why not? You know, even if he doesn't do well this year, you're not drafting only one quarterback in a startup anyway. Uh, and, and then you can base your team based off of how you're drafting. But I believe even if he was healthy, completely 100% clear, ready to go, which it sounds like he is. I believe he came out and said that his ankle was in the past or, or something along those lines. Um, I don't think he's top three. I, I think he's close, maybe at five, six range, uh, depending on what he does. But I, I would love to see kind of what happens with that team as well. You know, getting, getting Dak back does a lot for Ezekiel Elliott. It does a lot for – you know, the, the injured lineman that they had the last couple of years. So having that leader back, not having to deal with Andy Dalton or, or Ben DiNucci, it's going to do a lot to that team. It's going to do a lot to the other playmakers around him. Sure. Sure. That might boost his value as well. Um, but I believe that we still have uh, from he's, he's outside the top three. He's outside the top three for me. It's not, it's not too far. Uh, but with the injury still, I, I'm probably not drafting him in a, in a dynasty startup as the QB3 if that was the case. Fair enough. Ryan, how about you? Is he really going as QB3 in a dynasty startup? Like he's going ahead of – No, 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 no. I, I'm oh, not no. saying he's going QB3. Oh, okay. I'm saying right. for, for the sake of is he a top three quarterback, I'm going to say oh. I would not draft him as a QB3. Okay. Sorry. I, I, no, I, I thought that Jeremy might have – Slipped in there, and I was like, I cannot believe that he's going ahead of. I mean, I'm assuming it's probably Mahomes, Allen, and maybe Kyler or somebody like that. But I even like Justin Herbert before him at this point. Yeah, I mean, Dak's probably. I don't know his ADP off the top of my head. I yeah. didn't look that up. I'm going off of a per game fantasy point basis from last year, where he technically finished as the QB one before his injury. So I'm just saying, if he was able to keep that up, he probably would have finished top three. So I was just curious. That's where I'm coming from, Ryan, more so than a actually ADP standpoint. Okay. All right. I mean, he he was on pace for, before before we break in his ankle in week five. He was on pace for 6,800 yards passing. He had th- three games over 450 yards and uh, and three touchdowns in the same game. So you're not going to take that as a QB three. I mean, I'm saying. Yeah, but that I mean that's crazy. I don't think I can't. I don't even think anybody will even come close to touching that even in a 17 game season. I their defense can't be that bad again where he's just having to throw 45 times a game every game. But he does get Leo Collins back, gets Tyron Smith back, gets Zach Martin back this year. So if offensive line will be better, obviously Zeke is still there. The off, their offensive weapons are insane. So QB3, I feel like I have those, those rushing upside guys like Josh Allen and Kyler and Deshaun Watson if he's able to play at all. I, I would obviously have those guys ahead of him, and Mahomes is a whole different breed. I, I, I'm not even going to throw him in there. But, I mean, on in terms of his potential, I, I mean, is you, is there any world that you see him in a, as a QB3? There's, there's a world for me if Kyler maybe gets hurt because he's living dangerously and 
Josh Allen takes a step back, like we've talked like we talked about last week, where he's not as efficient with, on the ground, and maybe some of those running backs get some of the goal line work that he was getting last year. I I mean, I could see a world where he's a top three quarterback, but I I don't see him. I don't, I'm not taking him there. Like like the question was asked, so no, I I, I wouldn't take him as a top three quarterback. But I, there's a world that that happens. Yeah, I mean, I see him being a top three quarterback possibly this year. Is I mean, I just look at the weapons. I mean, you have an Amari Cooper, you have Ceedee Lamb, you have Michael Gallup, you have Blake Jarwin, and now Dalton Schultz as well, who kind of broke out last year, and Zeke Elliott, and a new and a healthy offensive line. I just think that this team, the the defense got a little bit better, but they still want to be a powerhouse offensive team. And I mean, that's just that the weapons are just crazy to me to think that he can produce the close to 25 to 27 points per game to get him to that point. I mean, yeah, Josh Allen has rushing upside and he's used a lot in that aspect, but you see Patrick Mahomes obviously is a different breed. I'm not saying they're the same quarterback, but Patrick Mahomes does it through the air mostly. I mean, he does have some rushing upside, but who says Dak can't do that in this offense with better playmakers? Do you know what I'm saying? So Mahomes is making his playmakers. They're not big names other than Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, but you're adding Dak is got Elliott with a better running game than them. He also has Cooper, who I think is a better receiver than obviously outside of Tyreek Hill. And then Lamb and Gallup all are better than the players who are behind Tyreek Hill in Kansas City. So I just think the option is definitely there. That's why I was asking the question. I like Dak. And obviously in a startup, I'm probably not taking him at three. Like um, Steve had said, like I like Justin Herbert better than him just as an overall like dynasty asset. But I definitely think the top three is not out of reach here for Dak this year. I just, I still not a firm believer in Kyler Murray as well. I just don't know. I mean, he has the huge rushing upside. That's what drives him up there. I just feel like, I don't know. I'm just not sold. And I honestly, I'm a Josh Allen. I'm a Bills homer. I love Josh Allen. I just can see him dropping out of the top three personally. Um, I just think the offense wants to run a little bit more. And I think he just, he had a crazy efficiency last year. And I just don't know if he can keep that up based on his career numbers. Um, I don't think he's going to like fall off the face of the earth, but I feel like I could see Dak taking him at four. And I'm just still worried about say Justin Herbert. I mean, it, it's tough because I can see the argument where five feels safer. I just think he could easily get to three. I think that's a perfect. I mean, I think it's a great question. You know, Dak at three, that that's probably where his line is, you know, with, with all the points that everyone's made. I, I think that's an awesome question because you're going to have guys that fight for both sides and, and there's points to both sides. It, it That's great. I love that question. All right, let's move on to Zeke Elliott real quick. Is Zeke still a, I didn't really put this in the show sheet, but does Zeke get capped by Tony Pollard? Like, is Zeke still a top, say, 10 running back this year for redraft? We'll use it, Steve. I know yeah. we, not many of us do, but play yeah. redraft. But I say, yeah. Yep. I think having Dak back opens up tremendously. Having an offensive line healthy opens up even more for him. I mean, I don't know if you've seen any videos lately. He looks in great shape. His agility is there. His burst is there. He has a smile. He's not. He, he's paid already. He's not going through that. That weight's off his shoulders. He just looks like he's a young Ohio State Zeke again. I mean, with with a little bit of gray starting to form in that manly beard of his. But um, it, it's it, it's it's crazy. You know, we say, oh, he's 26 years old. He's at the peak of his prime. He's starting to come down. I mean, this guy's 10 years younger than some of us. And 
it, it, we're already talking about he's he's fine. He's perfectly fine. I'm actually taking Zeke above Barkley in redraft. I like that. It's a little a little spicy, but I can see it. Same argument with Dak. You know, I mean, this offense could be pretty potent, and he's obviously healthier, not coming off an ACL, and we don't know what Barkley's going to look like. How about you, Ryan? How do you feel about Zeke Elliott? Is he capped from Tony Pollard, or do you think he's still the older Zeke? We're not going to get what he got last year, but the year prior, Zeke. So me, personally, I do not see him as an RB1 this season. Oof. Just I know I know reports out of camp and during OTAs that he is in the best shape of his life. Dak has been saying that he looks phenomenal and everything like that. And last year he had to overcome just a, a perfect storm of negativity. Obviously, Dak goes down in week five, over offensive line gets wrecked, and it led to career lows in attempts, yards, yards per attempt, and yards per game. Lowest fantasy point total in standard and PPR points for his career. But if you just go back and look at his tape, you just didn't see that same explosion or game-breaking runs that we're used to seeing from him in past years. And if you dive a little bit deeper into his numbers, he saw a stack front on 12, 13% of his rushes, which was down from last year, which was 16% last year. And he averaged only three yards per carry in that in those situations. And he was 40th in, in the league in yards created per touch. And it was 39th last year, according to Player Profiler. So it's it's and that's not because Dak got hurt or the offensive line was worse. He just wasn't the same back. I mean, we've seen the decline start the past few seasons, and to me, he's just not nearly the same back that he was in his first couple of years. Uh, last year, he had five games with fewer than eight fantasy points, which was less than Dalvin, Aaron Jones, James Robinson, Gaskin, Ceh, and Eckler combined, and only Frank Gore had a smaller percentage of big runs of fifteen or more yards of backs that finished in the top 48 last season. So I, and I was shocked to see that stat. I mean, fantasy footballers put that out and I was sincerely shocked to see that he was just about only above Frank Gore in terms of his percentage of runs that went for 15 or more yards. So I don't think it's Tony Parr that necessarily caps him, but I just think it's his declining, declining talent. But I can, I can see your guys at the point where he's, He's got all these weapons around him, and they should open up the field for him. But at the same time, like that, that was all there. See, absent the lamb, obviously, that was all year, all there two years ago, and he was basically performing the exact same, the exact same situation, if not worse than that situation. So, so just for the sake of the argument, because I love this these kind of conversations, Dak went down what week? What what five. week did Dak go down? Week five. five. So Zeke's week one, 27.7, week two, 20, week three, 17, week four, 19, week five, 23. And then that's when the fall became, and that's when it all happened. So to me, with that, having him on the field just changed so many things. Uh, and, you, and you touched a little bit on his, on his decline or, or what you may be, and, and I love that. You know, I, I, Just like I said, I'm going to take Zeke over Barkley. We all have different views on what we see and what we see. Um, but like even with the decline of Zeke and all, all the issues he had last year with no quarterback, no offensive line, he still finished top 10. Uh, and to me, that is what kind of pushes me the other way. And I love how people's minds work and see things differently because uh, you're right. I, I mean, I said it myself. At this point in his career, he's 25, year six. This is technically the, 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 the downfall or, or the downslope of what a running back's career would be in the league. And, and, and it could easily fall off like that. It could easily fall off like that. So, so like I said, when he, it's it's the 
advanced things that I was looking at that was kind of like eye-opening to me because mm -hmm. I honestly was in the same boat as you guys where I was kind of higher on him going into the year because of getting Dak back and everything like that. But after seeing the fact that he actually saw a less stacked front from last year and still averaged only three yards a carry, and if you look and look at his production over the last three seasons, I mean, he's declined since his best year in 2018, which was his third year in the league. He's dropped in – literally every statistical category that you could possibly have. I mean, he less yards each, each year uh, average has dropped significantly over the past year, almost a full yard since 2018, less targets, less receptions, obviously less receiving yards, less touchdowns. I mean, it's just a steady decline that we're just seeing from him. And I'm not saying that he can't be in the top 10, just for me, just from everything that I've looked at, there's just guys that are coming back healthy, like Saquon and like CMC and these younger guys like JT and Dobbins and Cam Akers and uh, guys like that that are going to – Antonio Gibson that can see a huge workload we're going to talk about here in a little bit. The, all those guys could all possibly leap him if this if this decline that he's seen just continues to happen. Yeah, and I, I, I can agree with both sides of that. And I, I think the argument could be made, though, for Zeke, too, in that the stacked front and the – uh, percentage per or yards per carry stat there. I think the offensive line could have a lot to do with that. I mean, yeah, the, the front was not as stacked, but the offensive line was also way worse than it has been in years. So I think there there could be an argument made there. Um, for the sake of time, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay away from it at the moment. We can talk about it later, Ryan. Um, but let's move on to the wide receivers real quick. We have Amari Cooper who finished wide receiver 15. Lamb, who finished 22, Gallup, 38 in PPR leagues. Who do we want to own in this wide receiver room? I mean, honestly, for me, it's like all of them. So, But is there one that you guys really want more in that think? Let's say, do we think that Lamb and Cooper both can finish top 15 this year if Dak stays healthy all year? Steve? Top 15, uh, I think Cooper's outside top 15. Uh, I think he's top 24 still. I think he's outside top 15. Uh, and I'm a huge – I'm a Raiders fan. I love Amari Cooper. Huge following of Amari Cooper. I think CeeDee Lamb's the, the clear-cut one to own in Dallas um, just with what he's shown, what he has, his potential, his future. Give me CeeDee Lamb if I'm starting up today. Love it. Ryan? No, I agree. I like I like CD Lamb a lot. Everything that I'm hearing from or everything that I've been reading about uh, CD out of OTAs has been fantastic. And if I, I won't get into it too too much, but if you look at what he did last year, uh, he actually led all receivers in 20 plus yard receptions last season according to PFF. And with that, without Dak, so I mean, if you get Dak back, that should just continue and is. He's he's definitely got wide receiver one or not wide receiver one, but wide receiver top ten potential with with Dak back for sure. Like it, like it. I I can agree with that. And like I said, I think for me in Dynasty, I like all three of them. I think Gallup could move on in the future, and I like his talent. But this year, I agree. I think I think CD Lamb takes that step and overtakes Amari Cooper. How about the tight end position? Do we think that Blake Jarwin coming off an ACL injury? retakes the tight end one or do we think we see a split here with jarwin and schultz uh steve 
I'm completely out on the tight ends in Dallas. Uh, I think it's a split. I think it's I think it's meant to be a split. I guess you know even with the breakout and the injury, but uh, I just don't I just don't see them using the tight end to their advantage. Nor do I think they have the talent at tight end to use in in certain play situations with it with the other talent on the field. So I'm out. I'm out. Ryan, what do you got? No, I'm I'm kind of out too. But if you had to choose one, I'm I'm probably gonna follow the money here. I mean, Blake Jarwin's guaranteed three million this season as he's on the roster at the start of the league year. So Dalton Schultz is playing for a contract. Blake Jarwin's playing to prove that he deserves a contract that he already got. So I'm gonna go with the money and say that if you have to choose one, I'd go with Blake Jarwin. All right, I like it. Let's move on to the Washington football team, a team that got definitely better this year, added a quarterback. The good old journeyman Ryan Fitzpatrick. Do we think Fitzpatrick makes it the entire season? Do we see him kind of fizzle out like he did in Tampa and possibly Taylor Heineke take back over? Um, Ryan, why don't you start us off with this one? I don't think Fitzpatrick finishes the year as a starter. I think Heineke will come in at some point. I'm not sure when exactly he will come in, but we've seen we've seen this before from Ryan Fitzpatrick almost every single year. I mean. Like he'll have one really good year and then he falls back to earth and has like a couple breakout games and just kind of reverts back. Like you never really know what you're going to get from him, but he, I mean, you got, you got to love his weekly upside if, if he's a starter. Cause he's just, he's going to go out and he, you know, he's going to throw the ball, you know, he's going to take chances. And the, the issue here is that he's only started all 16 games three times in his career and twice was in Buffalo. So you're looking at a guy who's probably not going to, I mean, how old is he? 30, he's got to be 36, 37, maybe even 38. Yeah. He's pushing for it. Yeah. So, I mean, he's not Tom Brady. I don't think he'd take care. I don't, you never hear any, you never hear him talking about taking care of himself like Tom Brady does. And he also takes a lot more hits. He plays a little bit more with that ferocity and the edge when he's running with the ball. So yeah, he you could argue that. So I don't, I don't think he starts all sixteen. But when he's when he's in there, I mean, I, I, I love him from week to week. But it's just, are you going to get the good Ryan Fitzpatrick, or are you going to get the four touch four interception Ryan Fitzpatrick that you see peak out from time to time and? It's just, I don't know, he's he's hard for me to gauge. But I do like what he does for the offense as a whole, if that if that holds any weight. It's a roller coaster ride as a uh, Fitzpatrick fan, that's for sure. Yeah. Steve, how do you feel? Same as Ryan. He, he, hasn't, he hasn't proven he can be on the field to, for the whole season uh, outside those two seasons in Buffalo. <laughs> it's funny. I don't think Taylor Haneke's the guy either. So uh, it's got to be somebody. It's just not going to be Fitz. Maybe we see – uh, Steven Mondes, maybe they're throwing it in at that point. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, they still have Kyle I, Allen too, who Rivera yeah, like. I, I believe over. they're front runner front runners to win the East as far as sports books go. So uh, it'll be curious to see who they have late in the season as a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is going to be Fitzpatrick for a while. It's I just I kind of on the same boat as you guys. I think I could see Heineke take over at some point. I just. I mean, maybe he'll prove us wrong. Maybe he plays the whole season. Maybe they don't ask a lot of him. Maybe they keep the depth of throws shorter. Maybe they lean on Antonio Gibson a lot, who we'll lead into here. But I just can see Heineke taking over or Kyle Allen at some point. Um, 
Let's move on to Antonio Gibson here, guys. Do we think he's the workhorse and McKissick basically fades away? Or do we think McKissick still handles the passing downs and is viable? I mean, last year in PBR, he was definitely a viable candidate near the end of the year there when Alex Smith took over. Steve, why don't you lead us off? I absolutely loved what Antonio Gibson showed us year one. If he can duplicate or replicate that, I believe, again, he's one of those guys like a Miles Sanders that can stay on the field for all three downs. I believe just off of what McKissick showed he can do when he was in Detroit, when he was in Washington, wherever he may be, is that he's going to be strictly the pass catching back. Uh, Gibson should be able to push him back to where if it's – let, let's just make a line, call it for, or third and five – or, or whatever, you'll get Gibson. If it's, say, third and six or longer, then you'll start to see McKissick. I think that's the sort of role you'll see, uh, especially with Ron Rivera and the way he runs his offense. I think he's going to want that lead back in, knowing that he can catch the ball just as well uh, and, and kind of move him down the field as that RB1, give McKissick more of the, the deeper ones. Like, hey, we need you to do more than just catch the ball out of the back one. Like, uh, who was it? I think Ryan might have said with with Philly, move him to the slot, move him somewhere, do something special, keep him in motion. And I think that's what we're going to see out of McKissick if he's on the field. And, and I believe it's going to be the longer, the longer gains and longer downs. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to see like a two-back set even with both of them out there on some passing downs. I think both give you passing upside. And then you still have Curtis Samuel too, who could actually play out of the backfield. So I think it's interesting. Um, I'm not sold on Gibson being a full workhorse yet. Um, I do think he gets involved a little bit more. I think they're trying to ease him in as he wasn't a true running back in college. But I love Gibson, especially as a dynasty asset. In 21, I don't know if he gets to where everybody wants him to get to in that RB one range. But I just, I do. I like Gibson as a dynasty asset and I still think McKissick's there enough to be a little bit of a thorn into capping his ceiling. Um, Ryan, how do you feel? I, I love Antonio Gibson this year. I mean, you, you kind of said, you kind of said the reason why JD McKissick was so involved and that was, that's Alex Smith. I mean, his, his completed air yards per pass attempt was 2.5 yards. So, That's good. I mean, I mean, he was just captain checkdown after captain checkdown last season, and and Alex Smith was a great story. But in, for fantasy purposes, I mean, he he inflated JD McKissick to a lot more than what he probably is. I don't expect him to see another 110 target season. He he had the most targets in the NFL last season for running backs, and he was number two on a per game basis behind Kamara. So, in terms of Gibson, I. I, I, I really love him. He's one of five active, active backs to have 170 or less carries in a rookie season while still accumulating 1,000 yards all-purpose. CMC, Kamara, David Johnson, and Gio Bernard are the only other four, and we know what those top three guys did when they were fully healthy. Um, I do think McKissick is still involved, but not to the extent he was last season. I I expect to see to have – I expect Gibson to see a lot more than – maybe not a lot more, but I expect him to see more than 44 targets. Like I said, I don't expect McKissick to have 110 targets again this season. So uh, I'm all in on Gibson this season, to be honest with you. I like it. Let's move on to the wide receivers I had alluded to. They added Curtis Samuel. They also still have Antonio Gandy-Golden from last year, who's working on a pan out. They drafted Diami Brown. So outside of obvious, the obvious guy and Terry McLaurin, of those guys, who do we think takes over that wide receiver two role? Steve, start us off. Yeah, I think it's definitely Curtis Samuel. Uh, relinking up with Ron Rivera, the way he could be utilized all over the field, different positions, the X, the Y, the inside, the backfield. 
I believe Curtis Samuel is going to be the clear-cut two. Um, I, I still, I'm still hanging on faith for Kelvin Harmon out of NC State. I believe he showed a lot of talent, uh, but I don't even. He's may have seen he may have seen 15 <laughs> snaps total in, in his NFL career so far. So if he doesn't make it out of preseason, it won't doubt me. But if he does, I think there's still hope there that he can come in and, and maybe solidify. Not, still not a wide receiver too, but he'll put some pressure on the wide receiver too. Uh, but I like Curtis Samuel in the spot. I unfortunately had to part ways with Calvin Harmon. It hurt me this offseason, but I agree. I'm holding out. I hope he does become something, and it, it makes me look like an idiot because I did love Calvin Harmon. But, Ryan, how, who do you think is that wide receiver to? <clears throat> uh, I think it's, I think it's Curtis Samuel as well. I think, uh, I think Ron Rivera and their coaching staff kind of learned a little bit of a lesson last season after watching him play out of the slot and kind of be more as a gadget player. They didn't really use him in that role when he was there, but – he he's he's just I think he's just a good football player to be honest with you. Like I feel like he can just do it all. He had 41 rushes last season uh to go with his 77 catches. So he had over hundred and what 110 touches last season. And I can I can see a world where that, that happens, especially in a 17 game season. And none of the other guys behind him are really proven. I mean they got they got Diami Brown, Adam Humphreys, Cam and Steven Sims, Antonio Gandy Golden, uh uh, Steve had alluded to uh, Harmon being there, but uh, I feel like Samuel is just a better player than those guys. So I feel like he's just kind of by default, the, the wide receiver two on that. Board. All right. That was the easy question. I'll start with the harder question. Terry McLaurin guys, he finished as wide receiver 20. However, he only played 15 games. If he would have played the 16 and went off of his per game basis, which was 14, Point nine, he would have finished wide receiver 13. Had he gotten 16 PPR points, he would be 12. Do we think Terry McLaurin with arguably an upgrade at quarterback, at least for willingness to sling it down the field? Do we think he gets to that wide receiver one range this year, Steve? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll go with you. Yeah. I, I, I think that he is right there on the line on the cusp of top 12 talent as far as fantasy-wise, and, and adding in the aspect that let's say Washington is the favor to win the East. They're, they're playing well. Ryan Fitzpatrick's out there slinging it around. He's going to be the number one target. Uh, we might see an uptick in targets just, just with the added value of Ryan Fitzpatrick and the way he plays. Uh, yeah, I, I like that. I, I think top 12 is definitely there. I think it's going to take a few touchdowns to get him there, uh, but I don't I don't see that being an issue as long as they're throwing the ball and Ryan Fitzpatrick is, you know, leading them, leading them to some victories down the road. I love it, Ryan. No, I, I love I love McLaurin uh, this season, especially. Are you the, a Washington uh, fan? Yeah. No, no, no. I just like I just like their offense. To be honest with you, I mean, they're that whole division. This whole division is full of fantasy viable guys. I mean, it's for sure kind of crazy because you usually when you think of this division, you really don't often think about the whole division being full of fantasy guys, but this year they, they are, I mean, it's, it's kind of weird, but yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick adds a whole different element to Terry McLaurin's game. His, uh, his ADOT was under 10 last season after being 14 in his rookie year. I expect that number to creep up closer to that 14. So, and he only had four touchdowns last season after having seven last year. So even if he, so even just 
if he reverts back to his rookie touchdown numbers, gets his ADOT back up a little bit more and still keeps that 134 targets that he had last season. I mean, he's, he's going to be on pace to finish in that top 15 relatively easily. Nice. Let's move on to a guy who has a lot more question marks in my opinion, Logan Thomas. Do we think he can repeat as the tight end for, which he had 11 points per game, or do you think the new weapons, obviously that we alluded to earlier or just a game plan scheme, he is going to fall from grace, Steve. I believe with all the tight end talk we had just alone in the East, I think he's going to fall from grace. I don't think he can hold that value. There's a lot of players coming back. Like George Kittle was what somewhere in the 15 range last year. You know, he's got to be pushed Mm -hmm. up to that range. Um, if any of these tight ends prove or, or do what we think they're going to do between the three of us and, and the fantasy community, I believe he's got to fall into that 8 to 12 range that we keep talking about. Uh, sure, he might be 8. Sure, he might be 12. But again, at that point, it's 70 yards or a touchdown difference at that point. I like it. I can get, I can definitely agree with that. I think Logan Thomas is going to become more of a back-into-the-pack kind of any of these tight ends, like we had mentioned earlier, the the Janu Smiths, the Hunter Henrys, the Irv Smiths, all those guys kind of just falling into that limbo land of one real good game is going to push you up the chart um, here at the tight end position. I think he falls into that, and it should be interesting to see where he lands overall. Um, I think on a per-game basis, he might be decently viable as a tight end one. Um, I think I am leery though on Logan Thomas, just based on his career trajectory and the fact that he just kind of broke out out of nowhere for one year. And now the added weapons just kind of concerns me a little bit for him. Ryan, how about you? Yeah, the added weapons are definitely a concern for me. Uh, and like I said, I expect Antonio Gibson to be a little bit more involved with the passing game as well. Uh, Curtis Samuel is going to take a lot of those, uh, slot positions that he actually had the number one slot snap percentage uh, for tight ends last season, Logan Thomas did. And he had the third most targets among tight ends last season. And I expect both of those to drop. And if you want to look into a little deeper look, he was 24th in points per target and 26 in points per route run last season. I expect his routes to stay relatively the same, but his, his targets are almost have to drop with all the added weapons that they had last year. So I, Tight end four is definitely out of the question for me with Kittle coming back. And we talked about Pitts and Hawkinson and Fant and Goddard and all that stuff. Like, I just don't, I just don't see that happening even in a perfect situation for him. All right. I mean, that pretty much concludes it guys. I think that this was a pretty great episode. Like Ryan had alluded to, it's not your typical, uh, or we could say your dad's NFC East. I think that this year there's a lot of guys who are fantasy viable in here. Um, and you should definitely be targeting in your drafts, whether it's redraft or dynasty. Um, Steve, why don't you plug yourself real quick and let everybody know who joined late, um, where they can find you and what you guys got going on. Awesome. Yeah, you can find uh, you can find me at Sideline Squib on Twitter. You can find us at SidelineSquib.com, any YouTube, anywhere you listen to your podcast. Uh, currently, we're just growing the brand. We brought on another uh, podcast called the DFS Docket, similar logo two guys talking about DFS and redraft league on that side of things. Why we talk about dynasty Uh, currently looking for, you know, writers to help join the team and grow and and get some good articles out there. Much like what we talked about today, any information is good information. uh, And it's, and, and it's fun to just see what other people look and see what other people think and, and and then use that to use that as a tool. So uh, 
yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I, I like joining. And if anyone ever wants to join us, please reach out and, and join us. And I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to Scott Fishbowl and everything that has to bring. So thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, it was our pleasure. We appreciate you coming on. And like he had said, if you're looking to uh, get into that writing game or you want to take a different step, move towards the, the uh, sideline squib here, they're looking for guys. Ryan, why don't you uh, let everybody know where they can find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Mackie underscore FFB. Uh, hopefully you'll be seeing some uh, articles coming out here soon for the yards per. They are, I know we're going to be releasing a, I know Matt's do, working on a major, major, like all sorts of different uh, articles for redraft strategies, dynasty strategies, things like that. You'll see some of my work on there. Uh, Very and- thorough work, by the way. What's that? Lo- it is a long article and very thorough. I may it have is. already seen it, but it's good work. So it if is. it comes out, I, you should read it. I, I I appreciate the good work part. I I, I do appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I just yeah. sometimes if I see that many words, I'm like I'm out. So I'm just letting everybody else know it's worth reading. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I I do want to shout out uh, Shane is the worst again uh, for helping me with the with the upgrade of the setup and everything like that. I feel like this is a lot better for me. I feel like it. Jeremy said, alluded to it before the show that hopefully it sounded better. So I hope that it upgraded the show a little bit and uh, appreciate Steve for coming on and uh, good talking with you, man. And you can find me, your host, Jeremy at Pope's FFH on Twitter. You can find my articles at yards per and the sports gambling podcast network. And until next week, folks, take care.